And so this is especially true when we're dealing with these non-negotiable grooming tasks that you have to force your child through over and over and over. You can't really avoid it like you can avoid an art project if they don't like getting their hands messy. You can't avoid washing their hair and putting sunscreen on them. And so this repeated exposure to something that causes stress to them um, might create a strong anxiety or avoidance in their brain. And, and they learn to avoid those tasks or they learn to have these controlling behaviors around the transition to those activities because they are afraid of the sensory input that it provides. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions podcast for parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura. OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hello, podcast fam. I am back. Welcome back to the first episode of the second season of the Sensory Wise Solutions podcast for parents. We are jumping off with a podcast episode about grooming and why on earth it is so hard to get our sensory sensitive kids to get through these grooming tasks. So I'm going to break that down for you. Whether or not you have an identified sensory sensitive child or maybe they just have a lot of big feelings, I'm going to peel back the layers and explain to you from a sensory perspective why grooming tasks can be so hard. And it's usually for sensory sensitive kids, it's not just about the transition to bath time. It's about what bath time means from a sensory perspective. So for the purpose of this episode, really not just the purpose of this episode, but in general, what I consider to be grooming tasks are taking a bath, washing your hair, brushing your hair, cutting your hair, putting lotion on, brushing your teeth, cutting your nails, getting dressed, and there might be one other thing I'm missing, but you get the idea. You're grooming. It's a hygiene task and things that you Most of them you need to do on a daily basis, if not a weekly basis. I know maybe you go a few weeks without cutting nails, but it's things that you have to do to your child to keep them clean and safe and so other people know that they are in a house that is not neglectful to them. So I know the impact that this can have from a social perspective when you do have to skip bath days or only wash their hair once a month or skip nail clipping to only like once a month. I know that that can be really hard when you're trying to do your best to keep your kids safe and hygienic, but their sensory things get in the way. So here's the biggest thing about grooming tasks and why it can be so hard for your kids. The thing about them is that they're typically out of the child's control, especially if you have a really young child. It's something that is being done to them. You put the shampoo in their hair. You tussle around their hair and scratch their scalp as you clean it. You hold their hands and clip their nails. You brush their hair. You're one inch away from putting them in a chokehold 
<laughs> just to open their mouth and brush their teeth. I know I say that lovingly. I don't condone violence, but I know the physical effort that you have to go through just to get your kid to open their mouth so you can brush their teeth. But this is one of the main reasons why grooming tasks are so hard for kids in general, but especially if you have a child who is sensory who's sensory sensitive to touch input or auditory input. And we're going to break down a little bit of these examples um, in just a minute. But sure, most people, you would say, like to be in control of their own body. Of course, that makes sense. But it's even more true for children with sensory sensitivities because kids who are sensory sensitive to things like touch tend to prefer to be in control of the touch. This is why a lot of kids might hate being hugged, but they like to give really tight hugs. They like to be in control of it. And it makes sense, right? When you're in control of the sensory input or the sensory stimulus, you feel safer. And when you feel safer, you feel more confident. And when you are not in control of it or not confident, you feel vulnerable and scared. And that's when those big behaviors can come out. All right, so I want to give you just a few examples of what aspects of certain grooming activities can really be triggering for your sensory sensitive child. So remember, there's eight different sensory domains, eight of them, but the main sense that contributes to meltdowns around grooming tasks specifically is the tactile or touch sense. So for example, if you have a child who is sensitive to touch, um, they might complain of discomfort or pain when they feel water dripping down their face or body after you rinse their hair, or when they feel the nail clipper against the underneath part of their nail. That's a very sensitive part of the finger. Or when they feel the stickiness or sliminess of lotions that you rub on their body or face, and then when the sand gets to it, oh, I I totally get that one, but that's a piece of it too. Then maybe they also have a hard time with the texture and feeling of toothpaste or the toothbrush that's rubbing against their gums or mouth. All of that is related to the touch sense. And that's not even covering all of the grooming activities, but but that's how that's how many different ways your child's touch sensitivity can come out through grooming activities. Auditory sensitivities is kind of a big one too and can be triggered from some grooming tasks, like maybe um, in relation to bath time, the sound of running water from the bathtub or a sink in a bathroom Um, can be pretty loud. And actually, I resonate with this one. I don't get super dysregulated, but sometimes I don't even realize a sound is annoying until it turns off. So like, I'll be running the bath in the other room and I'll like go to my office, which is right next door, and I'll be working on something um, while the bath is filling up. And then um, I, my husband turns off the bath and I'm like, oh, thank God, like that sound was really annoying. And I didn't even realize it until it was off. And it's a pretty loud sound depending on your bathtub and the bathroom, the acoustics. And then if you have um, a child who use clippers for their haircuts, of course, that sound of the buzzing can be very, can feel very threatening to them, especially when you have to get so close to their ears and then the vibration of it, that spills into a little bit of the tactile sensitivity, but the buzzing sound can be kind of off-putting for kids. And then the sound of the toilet flushing that can make the whole experience of a bathroom can be tricky. If you have an electric toothbrush and the buzzing from that might be really tricky. So There's some auditory pieces that can contribute to grooming, though I tend to see more of it from a tactile or touch perspective. But I'm going to give one little quick insight here. I shared this on Instagram and it went 
pretty viral and popular because people didn't realize that this was a huge reason why their kid was avoiding a specific part of bath time. So if your child is fine with bath time, fine with playing with bubbles, fine with getting their body scrubbed, but they have a hard time when it comes to rinsing shampoo out of their hair when their head is tilted back. They might be disliking the vestibular activation, the vestibular feeling from tipping their head back. If you remember, the vestibular sense is located in your inner ear and anytime your head is out of upright, um, so if it's tilted, if it's backwards, if it's upside down, then that sends a signal to your brain that it's activated. If your child is sensitive to vestibular input, so they might also hate escalators, climbing upstairs, going on playground swings, um, climbing up play structures, if all of that is true and they're also hating tipping their head back in the bathtub, it might be related to their vestibular sense and not tactile sense. Okay, so here's where it gets tricky though. Even when, even if we're saying, okay, so they're sensitive to touch in the bathtub and we can identify it as a sensory sensitivity. Um, even when it starts out as that, it can really easily start to snowball and transform into a more of a learned fear or a stronger avoidance um, of that activity. So even without the actual tactile input from the water on their face, they're already having a big behavior before the bath. That's how you know their brain has learned to avoid a sensory activity. And now it's maybe not so much about the sensory input yet. And it's more about the anticipation, the anxiety about it. And so this is especially true when we're dealing with these non-negotiable grooming tasks that you have to force your child through over and over and over. You can't really avoid it like you can avoid an art project if they don't like getting their hands messy. You can't avoid washing their hair and putting sunscreen on them. And so this repeated exposure to something that causes stress to them um, might create a strong anxiety or avoidance in their brain. And, and they learn to avoid those tasks or they learn to have these controlling behaviors around the transition to those activities because they are afraid of the sensory input that it provides. And as their brain continues to experience fight or flight in response to that, then it just solidifies and, and strengthens that fear of it. So... Um, that's why it can get really tricky with grooming because you can't just avoid it altogether, right? Um, but here's the good news. You can work to undo that fear. So after everything I said, take a deep breath. Remind yourself you're a good parent. You have a good child. You have not traumatized your child by giving them a bath or brushing their teeth. You are not doing harm to them. You are doing what's right as a parent to keep them safe and hygienic and that is the best that you can do for them. So take take that deep breath and know that and try not to get stressed by what I shared with you. There are ways to start slowly undoing that associated fear that has grown from doing these grooming tasks. How do you do that? The best thing you can do is to start create start creating positive associations with the environment and the context of that specific grooming task. So what do I mean by that? Here are some examples. Let's say your child is really, really afraid of bath time, the whole thing, getting in the water, soap, scrubbing them, shampoo, rinse, and they just like will not, every time you say it's bathtub, time to get in the bathtub, it is um, a stressful thing. 
So you can create positive associations with the bathtub by playing in the bathtub, not during bath time. Turn it into a huge sensory bin. Maybe they could stand on the outside of the tub and they can just lean over and scoop some pom-poms or put food coloring in it and allow them to get in their bathing suit and climb in and play with really shallow water. Um, You could not add water at all and turn it into a really cozy reading nook. Maybe turn the lights down and give them a flashlight and light projectors. There's no pressure for them to take a bath in the bathtub. You're just starting to create more positive associations and trying to trick the brain into saying, hey brain, every time you've seen this bathtub in the past, it's been full of scary thoughts and scary associations and feelings. But guess what? We don't have to be afraid of the bathtub. It's not a scary place. So the more you do those positive associations, the idea is hopefully that your brain can start to reroute the wiring that has up until this point been sending your brain straight to fight or flight mode and triggered mode. Maybe your child has a whole fear of the entire bathroom itself because of the sounds or like the toilet or everything that you do in the bathroom. You can create positive associations by just bringing their favorite toys in there and playing with them there playing Legos in there, um, going often in there at neutral times. And it sounds weird at first, but when you really think about it, it's true. You create positive associations with grandma's house because every time you go there, she makes the best food and she lets you watch TV and she has a huge backyard. Why can't you do that for a bathroom? Maybe the toothbrush is a triggering item for them. Every time they see the toothbrush, they run away or cover their eyes. I have a, I had a client who used to gag every time he saw the toothbrush, just visually saw it because he was so used to gagging with the toothbrush. So you can use, you can allow them to brush your teeth with a toothbrush. You could buy another toothbrush um, from like the dollar store and use it to do crafts with or brush dolls teeth with. There's a lot of different ideas to do this, but the key here is creating positive associations and doing it at times that are neutral from the times when you actually need them to get through with that task. But keep in mind you're probably working against years of negative associations with the grooming task. So this is not an overnight fix. They might resist it the first time you try it, but keep trying in different ways and try not to force it, but still be encouraging. You have to find that sweet balance. Okay, so in addition to creating that positive experience with the context and environment, you also want to create more patterns of consistent regulation in their nervous system in general. So Kids with sensory sensitivities often experience sensory dysregulation. They're stressed out, they're overwhelmed, they're overstimulated, their heart is beating fast, they're alert, they're fearful, they're cautious. They might be a little bit more prone to dysregulation. So when they're dysregulated, then they're more likely to have intense meltdowns and behaviors around their triggers like bath time. But when they're more regulated, they're more likely to be flexible, try new things, and be calmer in those situations. So it is much easier to set your child up for regulation than it is to pull them out of dysregulation. I'm going to say that again. It is much easier to set your child up for regulation than it is to pull them out of dysregulation. So remember, there are... There's no one-size-fits-all sensory regulation plan that I can give you because I I always get to this point of the talking and they're like, okay, great, I got it. What's a sensory regulation activity that I can do for my child? 
Every child is different. Every sensory profile is different. You might have a kid who loves being wrapped up like a burrito in a blanket. There might be another kid, maybe the sibling, and like absolutely hates being wrapped up in a burrito blanket. So I can't give you this one-size-fits-all plan. What I like to do is teach parents how to be sensory detectives to figure out what sensory regulation looks like for each of their kids and how they can provide that in multiple ways throughout their day um, without feeling overwhelmed, of course. So you can do this by consulting with an OT. If your child is with an OT, ask them um, to start exploring some sensory strategies that you can do at home proactively to help your child be a little bit more regulated. Here's a big hint. Heavy work and deep breathing might be a really good place to start. Um, So you can start doing your search that way. Um, But once you realize what sensory inputs are regulating for your child, then you're going to want to just try to work that into your daily routine so your child has opportunities throughout their day to nourish their nervous system with regulating input. So all of that in mind, here's the bottom line. Your child is not exaggerating their fear or discomfort with bath time, hair washing, cutting nails, brushing teeth, all of that. It might have started as a sensory trigger, but now it's a learned fear and or avoidance. And you can help make it less triggering for them by creating positive associations around the context of the task and also by being proactive at finding ways to regulate them. Okay, so listen up. If this episode resonated with you and you're excited to try some of these tips and pick up on these insights, but you want more and you have a child who has sensitivities outside of these hygiene or grooming tasks, or maybe they're specific to grooming tasks like taking a bath, but they're so hard that you feel overwhelmed getting started, then you are going to want to look into joining the SensoryWise Solutions program for parents. I only launch it a few times a year and doors are officially open right now for the fall enrollment and doors close on Friday, September 23rd at mid Midnight Pacific Standard Time. I have coached hundreds of parents using my four-step process, including using the Just Right Challenge through tasks at home like getting dressed, picky eating, dealing with loud sounds, and tolerating and getting through bath times and other hygiene tasks as regulated as possible. In fact, one of my most recent cohort graduates who started with her son who would cry during every bath time, every time she washed his hair, now keeps sending me updates that using my four-step process, he is now not only tolerating bath time and hair washing better, and not only being able to go to swim lessons, but she sends me videos of him willingly, happily jumping into a lake and swimming and enjoying it. That is a huge transformation for a child who is so sensitive to the feel of water and rinsing things out of his hair. So that could be you. Check it out, theotbutterfly.com slash SWS fall. And I will put the link to that in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT butterfly. See you next time.